Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Down There. I'm your host, Laura McKaig. My mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to discover that pelvic health and wellness is important, that it doesn't have to be embarrassing or intimidating, and that it can actually be fun to learn about. So let's have some fun learning today. On to the show. This episode of Down There is brought to you by Laura McKaig Physical Therapy, where we help men and women find real solutions to leakage, pain, or other problems down there. Let us help you regain your dignity, stay fit and active, and enjoy your family time, social life, and intimate relationships again. Find us at www.lauramckaigpt.com. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the third edition or the third episode of the podcast Down There. This is Laura McCaig, your host, and I have a very special guest with me today. This is Jessica Nollett. She is a banker at Enterprise Bank and um, I'm going to let her introduce herself and kind of tell about how we met and a little bit about why she is my special guest, Jessica. Hey, I am a banker and I met Laura at our BNI group, um, which is a networking event that we get up real early on Thursdays and (laughs) scurry out the door and meet other business owners, business leaders in the community and help each other grow. I am a good fit for this conversation with Laura. I um, have a six-month-old baby and a five-year-old, so I've had two C-sections, and I've always got questions about what's going on and why and what's going to happen and how damaged am I for the rest of my life, and I know everybody else has those questions, so Laura and I thought it'd be fun to literally pull questions out of a jar and see what people have to ask a pelvic floor specialist. Yes, so this is an idea Jessica came up with when we were meeting one day, and so this is what we're going to do. Now, many of you know I'm a planner, so this is a little out of my comfort zone, but I thought, what the heck, this would be fun. So I've gathered up questions, and thank you for everybody who submitted questions to this. We've got quite a variety, I think. I don't know. I haven't looked at them. And so I don't know what I'm going to answer. Jessica's going to literally pick them out of a jar. And off we go. Are you ready? Are you ready, Jessica? Let's see. All right. Say all these words, considering (laughs) I have a six-month-old that doesn't sleep. Yes. Question one. Question one. How do I know if I pee too much? Is this regarding, um, like, too much at a time or too many times throughout the day, do you think? I don't know. Uh, But how I'm going to answer it is... Um, I think the question is asking, how do I know if my bladder habits are a little excessive, like I've got overactive bladder or I'm just, I'm just peeing too much. They usually say during the day, nine to 12 times is kind of average. Any more than 12 times is a lot. And any more than about one or two times a night is a lot. And um, that might be outside the norm. 
And what if you're pregnant? Oh, what if you're pregnant? Yes, that would be an exception. <laughs> Every 15 minutes. Yeah, that, especially that, that first trimester when those hormones are changing and the third trimester when baby is literally pressing on your bladder so you don't have a lot of space, you're peeing all the time, and you know that will get better. So, yeah. Fun. Okay. What kind of activities do men, uh, do men do that could cause pelvic floor issues? Oh, that is a good question. Um, because a lot of people think that pelvic floor issues are just a woman's health issue, and that is totally not true. I treat men as well as women, and some of the issues that men, I don't know if there's anything they really do um, to cause them, but some of the issues are sometimes their pelvic floor muscles get too tight, and they end up with pelvic pain. A lot of pain down there that nobody really knows what to do with. But if you treat the muscles, you can get rid of the pain. Um, also, hernia repairs. When men have hernia surgery, and sometimes that scar tissue can get down in places and cause some really nasty things to happen, we can treat that as well. And um, did you know that erectile dysfunction can sometimes be caused by pelvic floor problems? And it's treatable. Bet you guys didn't know that, huh? So those are just, also prostate cancer issues is a big one. I have so many yeah. jokes about the too tight yes. down there comment because <laughs> I hear that term a lot when talking about, you know, some guys, but yep. not regarding the public floor. Something yeah. else right by there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. There we go. Another Next question. question. What's the difference between a tight pelvic floor or the op and the opposite? Oh, speaking of too tight. Wow. I'm literally pulling these out of a jar. Yeah, They're sure. not lining them up. Yeah. If you think the pelvic floor muscles are just like the muscles of your biceps, your hamstrings, your abs, they're the same kind of muscles, you just can't see them. So if your muscles are too tight, that's kind of what it means. You know, the muscles are, are tight. They are not moving like they should, they don't have the flexibility that they need, and so they can cause pain. The other issue is maybe they're a little too loose, they're not, they don't have enough tension. It's kind of like if you have a hammock, and the hammock is just the right tension for you to lay down on and get a nice nap. Well, if the hammock is too tight, that's going to be really uncomfortable lying on that, and you might bust a string. If it's too loose, you may end up with your rear on the ground, and you're not going to get good sleep that way either. Same thing with the pelvic floor. It needs to be at just the right tension to help your body move the best it can. Now I want a hammock. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who would be a good, or who would be an unexpected client for you? Unexpected oh. client. An unexpected client. Probably a person under the age of 40 who comes to see me after they have had major reconstructive surgery from cancer. Major abdomen and pelvic reconstruction from cancer. And their doctor clears them to say, you're fine, go about your normal business. And they say, my body is not ready for that. 
And so we, we work on that. I don't, I don't see a lot of that. But that's probably pretty young. inspirational too for you. Yeah. That'd be yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. All right. How long does it, um, does typical treatment for incontinence take? Ah, well, I would say, I always tell people, if you don't notice a difference within four visits, and that's usually once a week. So about four weeks time, you should be noticing something changing. And if not, we might need to explore other options. I'd say on the average, you know, between four visits and maybe six to eight visits. Oh, I have to throw my own random question with yes. that. Yes. So if something like that is going on, um, that can also be something that has to do with diet, possibly? Yeah. So do you help them coach on that or do you have partners that you work with um, to help with the diet? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a basic, you know, basic nutrition knowledge, but that's not my thing. Um, and so I do have people who are more trained in just nutrition, you know, like constipation. It's a thing. It's a big, big nutrition component in the and bladder. Did you know, Jessica, do you know what the four biggest bladder irritants are? I'm sure mm. you lie awake at night thinking about this, right? Bladder irritants. Yes. <laughs> mm. I'm going to go with caffeine. That's one of them. Alcohol. Yep. Um, workload. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Go with caffeine, alcohol. Caffeine, alcohol. Drugs, maybe. Like, well, because I do know that if you take certain yeah. drugs, it can affect things. That's true. And asparagus, because it changes the smell. Yeah, asparagus pee. Yeah, but that's not one of them. <laughs> um, carbonation. Uh, okay. So whether that's soda, whether that like LaCroix water, sparkling water, anything that has that bubbles in it. Champagne. Mm. Champagne's a double whammy. Yeah, so is Diet Coke. So is Diet Coke. Yes. So and you mean if I have like a yeah. Captain and Coke, I'm like three out oh, of four. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. You just might be making <laughs> friends in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Does age affect bladder issues? Does age affect bladder issues? It can. Like when you make that lovely change from uh, perimenopause to menopause. A lot of changes happen with the estrogen level and the hormone level. And that just, it just changes um, what the tissues are like and how well they can support the bladder. And so sometimes women notice changes in their bladder habits, you know, right as they start menopause or as they're approaching that phase in life. Um, so in that way it does. It doesn't mean that just because you're getting older you're gonna be doomed to bladder issues either. So I know that's one myth that I definitely wanna bust. Not true. This next question right. is super folded up so it must be a good one. Yeah. Uh, yep. Why does our poop turn green? Um, cool. Way to eat your veggies, person. That's my guess. My baby's poop is yellow and it yeah. splatters, and other times it's chunky. So, um, I've never had anybody ask me that question. I would say it's probably diet related. Kind of, you know, what are you eating? And I would go to my wonderful dietitian resource people and ask them that. So, that's my answer. 
I really don't know. There's a really, <laughs> just speaking mom story, there's a really great uh, infographic of all the different types and shapes and smells of poop um, that babies can put out. And there's one that they call squirrel tail. And if you've had a baby <laughs> or changed a diaper, you've seen mm -hmm. the squirrel tail come up and out. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, that's, there those questions go. like that just make me think of yes, the baby poop diagram. <laughs> Alrighty, next one, not as gross. What are some of the long-term side effects of having a C-section? Oh. This is a personal, this applies to me. Yes. I can yes. tell you something. I was probably. gonna say. <laughs> Have you noticed any that you want to share? Oh, um, I'm as open as they come. Um, the mom apron, so your belly um, having not only your abs stretched out, but then diced open pretty much to, you know, the opposite direction, um, just really screws up your lower abs. And so you have a lovely apron of your belly fat just kind of hanging over because the muscles that would automatically pull that in have been severed. So, um, you really have to start and focus on those lower ones right away after. Um, that's probably the biggest one. I think an emotional side effect of it is, is you're in so much recovery mode for the first six weeks or so after having the baby, um, it's really hard to enjoy it. And so you look back at that time and you just really don't feel like you got to enjoy that baby time. I know that's not a physical thing, but to me, that's, you know, that's part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also you have to think, you know, they've cut through four layers of muscle. Yep. They have, they've done some rearranging of your organs to get baby out. Um, and so, the recovery times longer, you know, long-term effects. I see a lot of that from scar tissue, scar tissue. And the fact that women who have C-sections are not always sent to a physical therapist for rehab afterwards. You know, why do we have everybody, most people who have back surgery, they have PT to recover. If you have knee surgery, you go to a PT to recover. Why don't we do that for C-sections? Because it's major surgery. And moms are left to kind of, you know, heal on their own. And they've got a, what, eight, soon to be 10 pound baby they have to lift. Everywhere. Everywhere. So that's one of my passions is really helping moms heal correctly, learn to use their body well, learn to heal that scar and take care of that scar so it doesn't creep down into all those crevices in the belly and get stuck to places it shouldn't. And then you've got restrictions in your body that could creep up years, years, years later. It's caused a lot of problems. And I'd say my first yeah. C-section was much easier to recover from than my second. Mm -hmm. um, I don't wanna have a third, so I'm done. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It definitely does that. And just getting familiar with your scar, um, touching it, and massaging it is really important and it's something you can easily do um, when you're bored at home um, but it for me it took an emotional leap of faith to really start messing with the massage messing and massaging the scar and not just yeah. it, pretending it didn't exist um, I mean at least that's what the aprons for it covers it ha -ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of that so yeah. goal mm -hmm. yes. all right next question does giving birth affect bladder issues? Yes, actually, well, third trimester definitely affects bladder issues. Um, sometimes giving birth can affect those issues. Again, with the C-section, there's an interesting tie between that and 
you know, we're talking maybe 10, 20, even 30 years later, women all of a sudden start having this urgency issue where, oh my gosh, I have to go to the bathroom. And I mean, like I really have to go to the bathroom and I can't wait. And that can actually be, be traced back to problems that happened with the C-section scar that didn't really heal, heal quite right or scarred up too much. Um, sometimes you will have a little incontinence after having baby, but if that lasts longer than three months, that's not normal. It definitely lasts longer than a year, which it does for a lot of women. That is definitely not normal and it is treatable. So, yeah. Um, this would have been a great question for the very beginning. What is my pelvic floor? Oh, yes. What's anemic? What is my pelvic floor? Well, yes, I've had actually people say, well, I can't come see you because I don't want to get on the floor to do exercises. <laughs> I'm serious. They think I'm going to make them get on the floor and do pelvic exercises. That is not it. So if you think, yeah, like the hammock, if you're sitting down, you can do this little, little activity with us. You sit down and you feel where you're sitting. There's two, we call them sit bones. So the pelvic floor goes in between those two sit bones. And then there's a pelvic bone way down below your belly button. And then there's your tailbone. And it goes between your pubic bone and your tailbone, between your two sit bones. And it acts like a, well, like a floor that supports your lady parts, your man parts, and your abdominal organs. So that is why they call it the pelvic floor. Kind of goes along with my theory of why I spend good money on shoes because it supports my entire body, um, the weight of my whole body. So if you're not spending, um, a, you know, paying attention to your pelvic floor, you're essentially putting the weight of your entire torso and your head and everything on a crappy hammock. Yep. And if you think about it, the pelvic floor connects or your pelvis connects your whole upper body to your entire lower body. So it's pretty darn important. All right, okay. next question. Is there an age when a patient should start getting scheduled exams or checkups down there? If so, what and when? First, I thought I said where. I'm like, uh, <laughs> not an alley. Yeah. <laughs> Your doctor's office? I yes. Um, I would say when gals, well, it depends, you know, boys or girls. Okay, let's do girls first. Let's do girls Ladies first. Ladies first. Ladies first. Probably when a young lady starts having her period would be a good time just to start getting that checked, making sure everything's okay. Having those talks about menstrual cycle, if anything's not quite right, if anything doesn't seem normal. And um, you know, probably having an annual, an annual check for that. So just going to my OB or midwife yeah. for my annual exam is yeah. sufficient for this for now. Probably, yeah, okay. yeah. And just because you're done with childbearing doesn't mean you're done with pelvic care. You know, still should be getting an exam. Oh, no, no, maybe not as often. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for men, when should men 
should men, how often, I mean, and who do they see? Um, probably either their primary care doctor, you know, unless there's something that is not quite right. But once boys um, go through puber puberty, would be a good time to start. start and doing that the cough test that I hear of? That could be one of them, yeah. Yeah, the cough test. Mm -hmm. I see that on, you know, shows and whatnot, and my husband yeah. tells me about it, but I've never experienced it. Yes. yes. <laughs> but just checking to make sure everything's, everything's okay down there. Yes. Yeah. Next question. How long do people typically wait before coming to see you? When should someone see you timeline? Oh, that is a wonderful question. And I could have a whole episode about that. Do you, give me a guess. How long do you think people wait? I would assume women are more proactive than men um, because um, I have to schedule all of my husband's appointments, it sure feels like. So um, I would say women still are probably, I mean, they recognize it. They probably wait two months before they actually act on it. Men recognize it, wait a year. I find it's the opposite. Oh, okay. Actually, the average is five to seven years. Oh, five to seven <laughs> years between the time they realize they have a problem to the time they come see me. Seriously, and wow. you know, think about it. That's five to seven years of your life. Wow. You're not going to get back. That's like yeah, yeah, that's... it is. And men, I think the problem is they are more proactive if they have an issue of pain or leak or something down there. They want to fix it. They want it fixed now, but there's so few resources out there that. They don't know how to get it addressed. Their doctor doesn't know what to do about it. There's nothing online. And this is coming from my own male clients who are telling me this. And then once they find someone, you know, who can help them with that, they're calling me up, say, hey, okay, I got this issue. I want it taken care of. When can I come in? All right. Yeah. Good so, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it would be great if. Well, what would be ideal? My favorite scenario is the gal who comes in, hey, I found out I'm pregnant, I'm about 20 weeks. Can you help me prepare my body for birth so that I can have a good experience and I can, you know, have a lower risk of injury, tearing, et cetera. That's awesome. Preventative care is the best. <laughs> yeah. Or get taken care of right away because it's easier to deal with sooner. How much does your therapy cost? What does my therapy cost? Well, if you are a Medicare patient, it costs you nothing. It's free. Because I am a Medicare provider. Started that in April. And if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance, it is basically covered under that insurance policy. Now, for other insurances, what you can do is you can submit the bill to your insurance and have it applied towards your out-of-network deductible. But for cash pay, for people who want to pay cash, I usually spend 90 minutes with each client for the first visit, and I charge $175 for that. And then each visit after that is 60 minutes of one-on-one -on -one treatment, and I charge $125. And um, I take HSA and FSA funds as well. Perfect. Yeah. 
So if there's hope for urinary incontinence without surgery, does it involve, so not if, sorry, so there is hope. Does it involve strengthening the pelvic floor? Yes, there is hope for incontinence with not having surgery. Um, sometimes it involves strengthening the pelvic floor, and it kind of depends what kind of incontinence it is. There's different kinds of incontinence. Some kinds happen because your pelvic floor muscles are too weak, but other kinds happen for other reasons. So that's why it's good to go in, see a pelvic floor therapist, and find out what's, the, what's at the root of this, what's causing it, and then we can find out how to deal with it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Go ahead and drop in a comment. Let us know how you liked this last episode. I'd love to hear from you. Do you have any questions or do you want to learn more about us? Perhaps you're ready to take the next step. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Laura McKeg PT or visit our website at www.lauramckegpt.com to learn even more.